You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Hey, everyone. I am so excited because today I have Spencer Bishens on the line. Now, Spencer is a Social Security disability expert, and I know that is something that we have not talked about on the podcast. So I'm super excited to talk to him because I have a lot of questions and I know you do, too. So, hey, Spencer, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So first and foremost, let's talk about what is Social Security disability? Um, Why would somebody want to consider disability? Well, paying rent and buying food and keeping the lights on is, is really good motivation, right? If you can't work either because of an injury or some sort of chronic illness or whatever the reason is, any medical condition can qualify. If you have medical conditions and they impair your ability to do full-time work, you can qualify for social security disability and needing money to pay for really important and necessary things is an excellent motivation. Um, But a lot of people who have injury or chronic illness and have problems working, a lot of people don't even know there is a social security disability program, right? Because we're conditioned to hear Social Security and automatically think retirement. Social Security is something I get when I'm old. And then, you know, sometimes people in their late 30s, early 40s, even early 50s have things happen uh, to the mind and body, a heart condition, oops, something fell on me at work. And then all of a sudden, one day, you can't work. And at that point, that's when most people will start asking the questions, hey, like, what can I do now that I can't work? I'll go file for unemployment or workers' comp. And at some point, someone says, hey, you should file for Social Security disability as well. And that's usually when someone says, there's a disability program in Social Security. And there's actually two. So anyone who's an employee Uh, knows that when they get their pay stub, there's a few things that come out of your paycheck automatically, right? You got federal taxes. You may have a state or local tax, but I'm only talking federal. You got your federal income tax withholding, but then you also have Social Security and Medicare, right? That's something that we all see come out of our paychecks. And that Social Security tax does pay for the retirement program, but the same tax also pays for the disability program. So all Americans who are working and paying that tax actually have disability insurance, uh, even if they don't know they do. And the way that works is you pay the tax and you earn credits. And when you earn enough credits, you have insurance. It's an insurance program. Um, And that's your premium, essentially. Uh, And that's called Social Security Disability Insurance. And by the way, if you're found disabled and covered under that program, you can also get Medicare coverage, which if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or even early 60s and you lose your job because you can't work, that's a pretty big deal, right? The fact that you can then get Medicare to help pay your medical expenses so you can try and get better. The other program is not an earned benefit. It's called Supplemental Security Income. And that's just funded by regular income taxes. And it's for people who, it's really for people who don't have, who don't qualify under the SSDI program. Uh, 
So anyone who didn't work and earn enough credits or hasn't worked recently, and that actually covers a lot of people. If you think about it, anyone who's working under the table, which you shouldn't do because it's illegal, but a lot of people do it. But it also covers like stay-at-home parents who aren't working or recent immigrants or young people who haven't worked long enough. So there are people who are covered under the SSI program. Also, children can only be covered under the SSI program because they haven't worked and earned their own credits because kids don't work. So there are two programs. And in part one of my book, Social Security Disability Revealed, I go over all the differences between the two programs and make sure that right at the beginning of the book, you f- everyone fully understands what they are, and then they can think about which program might I qualify for and which program might I want to then apply for benefits for. Gotcha, gotcha. That is very good information because I did not know if you qualify for disability, you can also qualify for Medicare. So that is um, really good information. Now, if somebody was at the point, so let's say, for instance, they're listening and they're like, well, I'm disabled. I mean, you know, I have workers comp and, you know, maybe, you know, something happened or what have you. How would they go about applying for Social Security disability benefits? And do you have any tips around that application process? Oh, I've got a whole book full of tips here. <laughs> That's basically all my book is, is tips. Uh, the subtitle is Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits and What You Can Do About It. First part of that subtitle, why it's hard to access benefits. There's a lot of reasons it's hard to access benefits. The way most people apply, you, you can go into an office or call an 800 number, but the way most people apply these days is on the website. And actually creating a My Social Security account and filling out the application, that's the easy part. But the definition of disability is different than you might think, and not in a good way if you have workers' comp or if you're a veteran. And I'll get to that in a minute. But the definition of disability is you have to have a a medical impairment or combination of impairments that prevents you from doing full-time work in the national economy for a full consecutive 12 months. So whatever job you used to do, let's say you used to be in construction. I can't go back to construction. Doesn't matter. You have to be unable to do any work in the national economy. And that has to be the case for a full 12 months. So I broke my arm. There was some kind of other accident. I'm going to be out of work for six months that doesn't qualify for social security disability. It's got to be a full 12 months. So it's actually, if you think about it, a really strict definition because you have to have some kind of long-term injury or illness has to keep you out of the workforce for 12 months and the whole workforce. And that means simple jobs, sit-down jobs, low-stress jobs, jobs that don't require a lot of physical exertion. So whatever you used to do, If you can do any of those kinds of jobs, even if there are none that exist in your town or community, Social Security is not going to find you disabled. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard to access benefits. And one of the reasons so many people are denied, it's really hard sometimes to get good medical care, particularly if you're not working. If you lost your job and you don't have insurance, it can be really difficult to access 
good medical care and then to get good medical records, which are often a nightmare for young white men who have really good insurance. And then when you put all of these other possible barriers uh, in your way, like people of color, gender, maybe you're a member of the LGBTQ community, you live in a rural area and you don't have a lot of medical sources, you don't speak English, and maybe you have difficulty getting your medical records. Like once you put a bunch of other barriers in the way, including no access to health insurance, like as you can imagine, it can be an absolute nightmare to get treatment, let alone your records. It's not that long in the in the recent past where a doctor has said to me when I've tried to get my own records, we'll fax them to you or come in and we'll print them out at 75 cents a page. Like how much is that going to cost me? Or, oh, we'll just send them to your other doctor. And then they never arrive. Like, oops, we forgot. So, you know, we have a terrible medical record keeping system in this country we don't have a great healthcare system in this country. We have a system that's very exclusionary, a health insurance system that's based on employment. So when you need social security disability because you can't work, that means you've lost your employment, which means you've lost your insurance, which means you can't get care, which means you can't get documentation, but you need that documentation in order to get the benefits because you can't work. It doesn't make any sense. And the last point I want to make at this at this point in the interview is that's not an accident. It's not like, ah, oh, that's a loophole. Someone should fix that. I firmly believe that the system is very much designed this way. And it's really stupid because there are so many people who need health care. Um, if, if, if companies could cover all these people and if doctors could, and nurses and chiropractors and physical therapists could see all these people. There's actually probably a lot of money to be made. Um, but social security knows that this is the system we have and they know that people have trouble getting treatment and they know that people have really, really tremendous difficulty getting good documentation showing consistent treatment for a full 12 months. So they know they're not stupid, right? They know that if they get a hundred cases filed 100 applications for disability, most of those applications are not going to have very good medical documentation. And that's why one, one of the reasons why so many people are denied when they first apply, over 70%. Social Security knows that's the case. They have very large sample sizes, over a million cases every year. They know what they're going to be getting, and they know it's not going to be very well organized or very clear. And so they know, hey, we we can invite everyone to apply, but very few people are actually going to be able to prove what we need them to prove at the point where they first apply. So you ask me how you apply. Well, how you apply is you just go on the website and you fill out an application and, and some questionnaires. But then, of course, everything gets quickly derailed after that. Mm. And that's so unfortunate. And I love how you broke it down, um, because when you said all of that, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, <laughs> it only makes sense if you don't want people to be able to access benefits. Then exactly. that system is perfectly designed. 
Exactly. And just you explaining it in that way, just personally, I'm just like, you know, we are just so messed up here in the U.S. Um, But with that being said, okay, so we went over how to apply. We went over what the um, disability benefits are. Now, if there's somebody listening that's currently on disability, like I know people where they're like, oh, but I can only make a certain amount or, um, you know, things like that. So what is that all about? Yeah, that is true. Um, So there are several different limits and I I go through all of them in the book and I I explain in the book what they are and I do that chronologically based on when they happen to you. Um, But they're, they're different and they're confusing and they change every year. So the first one is when you're applying for either program, SSDI or SSI, there's a certain amount that you uh, can can work and earn um, because the first question that Social Security asks when they're evaluating disability, there's a five-step process that I talk about in the book. And the first step in that process is, can you work? Um, if you can work, then you're not disabled. Um, so even someone like, I'll just take the most extreme example that we all know of. St- take Stephen Hawking when he was alive and under the age of 66 because that's full retirement age so um people would think like oh of course he's disabled he was probably not disabled at any point in his life he probably would not have qualified for social security disability because even though i'm sure he paid tax into the system and had the insurance the first question is can you work and the way social security defines work is can you earn a certain amount per month and that amount for this year is $1,350 per month. I'm sure that with Stephen Hawking's books and speaking gigs and everything, he was earning more than that. So if he applied for social security disability, the first thing they would say is you're earning too much denied, even though he has medical conditions, obviously, right? He had ALS. First question is, are you working? If you can work, you're not disabled. Then if you can't work, social security asks, what are your medical conditions and how do they prevent you from working? So you can work and be an applicant for benefits, but you have to be earning under that amount. Now you can exceed that amount for a limited amount of time, which is something as you make a work attempt, because Social Security wants to encourage people to try and work. So they'll let you try and make a work attempt. And if you exceed that amount for six months or less, they'll call that an unsuccessful work attempt. But it has to genuinely be that you had to stop working because of your impairments. You can't just be like, ooh, it's five and a half months and I don't want to destroy my disability claim. I'll quit now. No, you have to show that you had to stop working because of your medical impairments. But now let's say you're approved. Um, This next answer differs between the two programs because with SSI, the maximum benefits like 800 bucks a month. It's not much. And anything you earn offsets your SSI. It's a super unstable program. It's got asset income limitations. And what that means is if you start earning money, they'll start chipping away at your SSI. So really anything that you earn could impact your SSI. Um, But most people work, they earn the credits, they're on the SSDI program. And that's a fixed benefit amount. If you go onto the My Social Security website, you create an account, 
it'll tell you if you become disabled today, your SSDI amount per month would be blank. And that might be, I'd say on average, it's probably going to be between 1200 and 1700 bucks a month, somewhere around there. So, and, but with that program, you can work every month and you can earn money. And there's a, a limit there as well, um, where if you exceed that limit for nine months, not in a row, that's important to point out. And I talk about this in the book, of course. But if you exceed that limit, it's like you're trying to go back to work. Under that limit, doesn't count against you. Over that limit, it, it's, again, a work attempt. I'm on benefits, and I'm going to get to collect benefits while I'm also trying to go back to work. And at nine months, the agency says, okay, that's a successful return to work. And I like to call that graduating from the disability program. Um, you've, you've worked and we've also paid you benefits at the same time, which is totally legal and allowed for nine months. You've showed us that you can go back to work. So now we're going to cut you off. So you, yes, you are allowed to work under the SSDI program at the same time you earn benefits, but there's an income limit. And it's important to understand that because a lot of people think, oh, I got my benefits. Now I can do whatever I want. And that's not true at all. First of all, there are limit, there's a limit to how much you can work and earn, right? But also people who are approved, they still have to keep getting medical evidence and getting treatment because Social Security can and does reevaluate claims every so often. Social Security disability is not intended to be permanent. And so anyone who is a disability claimant or a beneficiary knows every few years you get a letter from Social Security, and essentially you kind of have to like reapply. They will ask you to fill out a bunch of forms, tell us about your functioning, send us all your medical records, go see one of our doctors, and it's kind of the application process all over again, except they're asking, is your disability continuing? And a lot of people get cut off at that point. I wrote disability decisions, and I saw a lot of these cases, they're called continuing disability reviews, and I did write some decisions where people were allowed to stay on disability, but I also wrote a lot of decisions cutting people off from disability because the judge looked at the evidence and said, you needed it, you got treatment, sounds like you're great. Well, I don't know about great. Sounds like you're good enough to go back to full-time work now. Uh, pretty low standard, right? Um, but because of that, you know, we're going to cut you off. So that does happen. Now, you segued right into my next question, so that was perfect. And that is, what are the different ways that Social Security disability can end? So I've heard you say, okay, if you have to re, you know, get reevaluated, yeah. it could possibly end. We'll call that um, one medical. It can end based okay. on medical improvement is what that one's called. Okay. And then what are the other ways? Yeah, so the other way that I mentioned is you could go back to work, right? So number two is a return to work. And that can be the SSDI program or SSI. If you are getting SSI and you're getting 800 bucks a month and you go back to work, even at 800 bucks a month, your SSI just went away. Um, I might not cover all of these in the book. So if I miss one, they are all addressed in the book. There's a chapter called When Benefits End. But um, for SSI, it has asset and income limitations. So it's not just about working. If your assets are too high, 
And it's all, we're only talking a couple thousand bucks in the bank and they'll cut you off because it's, it's intended to be a program only for like the, the people who absolutely need it the most so they don't become homeless or starve. That's really all SSI is intended to do. For SSI, if you're incarcerated, because SSI is really intended to just like pay rent and buy food, if you're incarcerated, though you haven't chosen to be there, the government is furnishing you with housing and food. And so logically, the SSI program says, you have housing and food now, you don't need us anymore. And so your benefits can be suspended or cut off that way. Um, if you're on the SSDI program, the earned benefit, uh, when you reach full retirement age, the disability benefits end and they convert and you get a letter in the mail saying, hey, you no longer need disability. You're now on retirement benefits. That is another way your disability benefits can end. Uh, there's one more way that I can think of off the top of my head, and that is death. Death has a really, really... Uh, finite and acute way of ending all of your social security benefits at any point, whether they're disability, SSI, retirement, death cuts everything off. Um, and then really quick, I wanted to yeah. land on that for a minute, because when you when you know someone that passes away, so like yeah. let's say, for instance, someone's listening and they're like, oh, you know, somebody in my family passed away. It's super important to let SSI know because I heard that they'll just take it right on back. <laughs> yeah, you have to let Social Security know immediately. If you're getting a direct deposit, like it's not free money. There's no such thing as free money when it comes to the government. Direct deposits, uh, or even if you're getting a physical check in the mail still, you can't keep that money. Um, just like with any other government benefit, people see it come in and they're like, oh, I guess it's Social Security's responsibility to find out. It's not. It's your responsibility. Whoever is responsible for that person. So if they had a will, there's a personal representative. If they died without a will, probably a court would name a personal representative. That person has to tell Social Security. Um, and yes, if Social Security overpays, I'll say when Social Security overpays benefits, because it happens all the time for a variety of reasons, they go and they get them back. And that, let's say you're disabled and you're receiving benefits as a beneficiary and you go back to work and you think Social Security will find out no, they tell you when you're a beneficiary, you have to tell us if you have a change in circumstances. And the reason is, let's say even if it's a, a W-2 job, well, the IRS finds out over the course of the year, or they might find out the next year. And so there's this lag. That information does get from the IRS to Social Security, but it might take a year and a half or two years. Meanwhile, you think you've been getting free benefits and you're spending them while you're working and then you get a letter in the mail from social security saying we accidentally paid you 24 months of benefits when we weren't supposed to because you went back to work you owe us sixty one thousand four hundred eighty two dollars and 28 cents please pay that back within 30 days and for most people they don't have that kind of money right well that never goes away so 
there are things you could do about an overpayment, and I do address overpayments in the book. Um, but the circumstances for getting an overpayment waived are really strict because the first thing you have to prove is it wasn't your fault. And if you didn't inform Social Security that you went back to work, it's your fault. A lot of times they people do inform Social Security that went back to work and the overpayment still happens. Well, you don't get to keep the money then either, because even if it's not your fault, if you could afford to pay the money back, even over a period of time, even just monthly payments, they're going to make you pay it back. And if you don't pay it back, when you get to retirement age, you're not going to get retirement benefits, right? Let's say your retirement benefits are 2000 bucks a month and you owe the agency $60,000. Well, they're going to keep your retirement benefits for 30 months. They are going to get their money back before you get anything. Not to mention that it's the government and they can, of course, just like put a lien on your income throughout your working life, right? So they're going to get the money back. The government has unlimited power, which of course they only use if they can, right? A court is not going to let them take money from you for no reason. But if you owe it, they're going to get it. So if you go back to work, tell Social Security if you get money that's not yours, it's always best when people are getting social security, any kind of social security benefits to have a separate bank account. You can go to a credit union, open a bank account. It usually doesn't cost you anything. And if you see money coming into that account and you know it's not supposed to be there, leave it there. Don't do anything with it. Don't spend it. Just leave it there because social security is going to want it back at some point. And the same thing happens if someone passes away Tell Social Security. And if they keep putting money into that account, you just don't touch it. You just leave it. At some point, Social Security will figure that out and they'll say, okay, here's the amount. And that amount, hopefully, if you have good record keeping, will match what's in your bank account. And you can say, yep, we're aware of this. Let us know where to wire the money. And um, then there's just no stress involved. It's very, e it's not easy to lose someone, but you aren't also then, you don't have that compounded by having Social Security tell you you owe a lot of money. And if it's the, if they were paying the person who passed away, the estate would owe the money. Well, now you're clouding the estate and the probate court can't close the estate because the government's put a claim on the estate. And, you know, that, that if you don't have that money, that estate's going to stay open, which means you can't distribute any of that person's assets. Um, and if you've spent the money, now you're going to be selling assets to pay back the government before you distribute it. It's a mess, right? So yeah, if whenever you have any kind of change in circumstances, um, even if you don't think it's going to impact your situation, let's say you go back to work and you're earning 500 bucks a month and that's under the, uh, the income limits, tell social security, if it doesn't change anything, just tell them. And then they know and then no one can accuse you of not keeping them informed. And of course, if someone passes away, that's the first thing you do is tell Social Security. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Spencer, for all of this good information. I have learned a ton and I still have more questions, but we don't want to give away all the juice because yeah. you have a whole book. So if I people do. were interested in learning more about your book or about you, where would they find you? Yeah, the book's called Social Security Disability Revealed, Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits. We've touched on that a little bit, right? And what you can do about it. We didn't touch on that so much, but the whole point of the book 
is that over my 11 years of social security, I learned all of these barriers that are put in your way when you're trying to get social security disability, like the medical records problem that we've already talked about, right? And I, I understood where people got confused and why they were confused. And a lot of it is just lack of knowledge, lack of information, and being put in a system where even if you know what's going on, it can be really disconcerting and um, people just get really down and they feel like I can't possibly do this. Everything's stacked against me and they give up. And I wanted people to have the knowledge to know they could get through the system and to feel empowered that they can actually do it. So I wrote this book. It's on Amazon in paperback and ebook. It's also Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. You can ask your local library for it. All the different places you can buy books can get this book. And all of those resources, we've got links to all those different places at our website, which is bishinspublishing.com, B-I-S-H-I-N-S publishing.com. The website has uh, a description of the book and the table of contents, so you can see how it's laid out. Make sure that your question or your issue that you want to know about is in there. There's links to all the places to buy the book and links to our social media and some articles that have been written about the book. Awesome. Awesome. And if you didn't catch that website, I will have it in the show notes. So don't worry, just check out the show notes after you listen to the episode. So thank you so much, Spencer, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at MoneyTalkWithT.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.